Entrepreneur Show, Bobby the Awesome here with a very special, slightly intimidating guest. Hi, Amy. Hi, Bobby. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I don't know about intimidating. Intimidating to me, this topic, but <laughs> you were being very gracious about putting up with me and my ball of nerves, but I'm excited to be here. I have friends cheering for you in New York that have been mad at me about all things snakes. And I'm like, no, don't post the pictures. Don't do the things. And uh, one of the guys is like, it's about time. So (laughs) there's people rooting for you. You have no idea. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. (laughs) So we started talking a little before I pressed record and you have just an amazing story and I hope we can dive into it. So would you like to kick us off wherever you would like to start? Sure. So I am a professional Python hunter So I was hired by the state of Florida to help capture and euthanize the invasive pythons that are literally destroying the ecosystem in Florida. So they're invasive, meaning that they're not supposed to be here. They were brought over through the pet trade. And because there are no predators, they have no predators, they're eating, in some areas, 98% of the mammals are gone because of these pythons. So that is what my job is. And I'm guessing you're going to ask me next, how in the heck did I get into this? <laughs> it is, but I also had like three other questions, like the pet trade you said. So that's the people who, the same people who get like tigers and monkeys and crazy things and they let them go in the Everglades? Not necessarily, but yes. So the pet trade, the exotic pet trade started back in the seventies. And, you know, the exotic pets are, our pythons, our boas, our, you know, tarantulas, exotic fish, you know, it doesn't have to just be the tigers, lions and, and the crazy exotics. And so basically there is a lot of controversy about how this problem happened. Some people think it's because they let people let pets go, but really what happened was Hurricane Andrew came through in 1992 and destroyed a breeding facility. And so that sent hundreds of pythons into the Everglades, into the same general area. And so they all, you know, found each other and they started, you know, breeding and being established there because our ecosystem and our our climate is very similar to Southeast Asia where they're from. So they could thrive and survive. So then it just kept growing out and out and out. And now we have between 100,000 and 300,000 pythons in the Everglades. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't ask that, but yeah, how, <laughs> when I come to Florida to visit, <laughs> I come to Florida a lot. I think that's part of the, the thinking that I have is I drive through there. I won't let me put there. your mind at ease with this. First of all, it is not easy to find these pythons. You know, when I got down here, I thought, hey, I'm just going to be tromping through the Everglades and pulling these things out left and right, and it's going to be awesome. It is not even like that. These guys are masters of disguise. There's over three and a half million acres for them to be that is inaccessible to most humans. I mean, we can't get through to it. So we literally have to wait basically for them to come to us on the roads and levees and things. So unless you're here in the winter and you're, you know, way back in the woods somewhere, you'd probably never see them anyways. Or in the summer, if you're out at, you know, between midnight and 3 a.m., you might see one. But other than that, I promise you, you're probably not going to see one when you're, when you're down in Florida. 
Okay. That makes me feel better. <laughs> so, so yes. How did you get in the, the Python business? How did Florida know to find you? <laughs> it was more the other way around. I definitely found them. So this, this goes back a little bit from when my dad put me in a creek when I was little and he taught me how to catch fish and crawdads and all kinds of critters. And I just had this crazy fascination with snakes. And it is something that, you know, you think you grow out of it or you'd think it'd be something a little more normal, like puppies or kittens, but no, it's snakes. <laughs> I mean, come on. So, you know, my whole life, it, it's always been a hobby and I've had snakes in my world in, in some capacity, whether it was, I was a breeder, you know, exotic vet, exotic um, vet, like the, the whole, all of it. And so, but then, you know, of course I was a real estate broker for 13 years prior to this. And so it was always just a hobby. And then I found out about the problem and uh, the Python problem here in Florida. And I thought, you know, I don't, I, I need to go figure this out. I need to see what's going on. So my fiance and I took a three week vacation in January of 2019. And we came down and I went on a Python hunt with one of my now good friends, Donna Khalil, and we caught a Python and I was absolutely hooked. I was like, I have got to figure this out. And so we got back and we weren't even back for a week to Indiana. Well, plus it was negative 30 when we got back. So, you know, there's that. And I told Dave, I said, um, I have to go. I just, I don't know what, like, I've got this feeling in me. I just, I have to go. He's like, I know. I was wondering when you were going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I can't even explain you know, what it was, it was just this feeling that I had inside me, this, with this sense of urgency, like I have to get down there now because there was nothing I could do from Indiana that was going to help me eventually become a Python hunter. So funny thing is at that time the government was shut down and this is kind of, you know, I'm a contractor for the government. And so I didn't even know if they were going to hire, this was a pretty new program. I didn't know if they were going to continue the program. I didn't know any of this. And I said, I'm just, I'm just going to go. And I did. So less than two months later, I dropped everything in Indiana, including, you know, my very successful real estate business, my family, my friends, everything. And I just, I moved down here to figure out how to become a Python hunter. Wow. I can relate to all of that, the get up and go and following your dreams. And uh, that's another thing that sticks out about your story for women to hear, like it's okay. Instead of Instead of just being sheltered by that, I'm, I'm stuck by geography or I'm stuck by, you know, I got like when I was a driver, people, the women would say to me, but I got married, but I got pregnant. Like there's all these butts, like screw the butts, like you glow. You could see how happy you are talking about Python. So <laughs> I, like, I'm proud of you for that. That's huge Thank to you. do what you're doing. Did you, you, did you bring the fiance or did you make him stay in cold? Yeah, no, he, 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 he came along with me eventually. So he had a business also in Indiana. And so what happened was I made this decision and, you know, I didn't want to sign a lease and take all my furniture just because, you know, I just wanted to make sure I didn't know anything about South Florida really. And so I found this guy on the internet and I was just going to rent a room from him. So Dave and I, and then Dave would come down later, you know, eventually we'd just figure that out. But for now, I was just going to go down. And so we drove my car down 17 hours, took two days because I don't do well on long drives. And we're four hours from this guy's house with my car and my stuff. And he calls me and he said, hey, 
Um, the room you're going to rent, yeah, so that's not available. The guy is going to stay there for six more months. I was like, uh, I am literally four hours from your house with my stuff. What am I supposed to do? And he said, well, I mean, I have an extra bedroom upstairs, but you're going to have to share a bathroom with my dad. And I was like, oh my, are you, what? <laughs> What is happening right now? So I'm 42 years old. I'm moving into a bedroom in some guy's house, sharing it with sharing a bathroom with his dad. What, what am I doing? Wow. That's so courage anyway, too. That's a different yeah, kind of courage. It, well, it was, it was, and it worked out wonderfully. They were great people. It turns out he had like five bathrooms. So I just used a different one. So it wasn't a big deal. But you just, man, you just never know. So just to get, I mean, I did. I just went no job, no, nobody that I knew except for one hunter. Didn't know if they were going to even be hiring ever. Didn't even know where to go to find pythons. Just, I knew that I had to be there and I was going to figure it out. Oh, I love that you were supported by Dave too. That's fabulous. That was a big deal for sure. Can we go back to the vacation? Cause I did forget to ask you something. Yes. So you went on vacation with another hunter. Is that who no, you- No, no, no. I just went down and I- I found another hunter on my social media and she, and I asked if I could go out on a hunt with her and that's back in the days when we could pretty much take anyone. We can't do that anymore. But so she said, yeah, sure. Come on down. I could use an extra set of eyes. So I went on a hunt. Dave and I both went on a hunt with her and we caught a python. Okay. I was just wondering, like, I've never heard anybody like go on vacation to catch python before. I didn't know really how that worked. Right. But, okay. Awesome. So Florida calls you. You said two months you were there. Yeah. So I, I mean, and it wasn't, I just, I didn't even know if there was a job opening. I didn't know anything. I still hadn't talked to anybody higher up to even see if this was going to be a thing. I just moved. I just said, I'm just going to go. And it is, it is so hard to explain from what you're saying. I mean, you get it too. Like you get it. And it's just this, it made no sense on paper. If you know, you're looking at this, you're like, what in the heck is wrong with this girl? But it, nothing has ever felt more right in my heart. Like it just, it made sense. It made perfect sense in my world. And I just, I was going to go and, and, and get it figured out. And I will, I will get it figured out. I, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, people always say, Hey, how did you just know? How did you just know? And I didn't. I mean, I did, but I don't, I don't know how to necessarily explain that, but there was a time, you know, as I was making this decision and I would think, you know, what, what happens if I fail, you know, what happens if I don't make it? And I said, okay, so let's see, I could, if, if the Python thing doesn't work out or there, you know, I can't get on, then I can either get my real estate license in Florida I can be a bartender for a while if I need to, or, you know, work in a restaurant or something, or, you know, worst case scenario, I come back to Indiana, tail between my legs a little bit, but, you know, I could still pick up where I left off and no big deal. So I thought, okay, well, you know, that's not really a bad gig. It's not really that bad if this doesn't work out. So let's just do it. I think you just said all that for me. Um, So... (laughs) I'm very clear, like on my purpose in life and I'm very clear on the vision. Like I can, if I knew how to draw, I could draw my building out and what it looks like and all the places and all the things. And what I love about where you're at, you just knew 
and then it became a reality because I'm trying to open a chain of brick and mortar recovery playgrounds across the country and world. It's not quite the instant gratification. And I get the voices in my head. And even though like what you just said, I was like, okay, well, I can go back to corporate America. Um, you know, like all the things I'm like, business is just a series of, of choices or problems that we solve and then we move on. But the journey has not been that way. So what you just said, I really appreciate. It's like, okay, yeah, my dream's still going to come true because it is that feeling. And you're right. The feeling is indescribable. And, and that's something I hope that the female listeners, well, even the guys, when you, when you get those voices of your purpose or your calling or your tug to do something, go do it. Like, what is the worst that can happen, I think, is the right question, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and when you think about it, it's not really that bad. You know, so I don't know. I think that it's, you know, and it's, and it's different for everyone. And, you know, there were so many reasons for me not to do this. And it just, it's like all of them just went out the window. It didn't matter. I will just, we'll just figure this out. And so I really, and I, you know, I would love to give advice to people on, you know, what, how do they know? How can they, you know, what is their passion? You know, and everybody's got something down deep down inside of them that they just love or that they feel that they were supposed to do, but maybe, you know, they are afraid to do it or they don't know how to do it or whatever, but everybody has that feeling about something inside of them. And it's just a matter of acknowledging that and being like, yes, this would be living my best life. I'm learning through my journey that the voice, like that feeling, we all know it. We can even recognize it. The problem is all the people we've been around or all the experiences that we have that create those voices pushing us down and, and taking away our permission to exist the way we should be, the way we were born to be. But we hear mom's old school thinking or, you know, the school teacher who said or, or we see and have these experiences that make us feel like it's not possible and freaking everything's possible. It is. It is. And, you know, you, you bring up a really good point because I think my biggest obstacle in going down, it wasn't anything else except what other people were going to think. And I didn't realize that at first. And it's not, it's not, you know, everybody, because, you know, on social media, you know, you have your haters, which, you know, I love my haters because it just means you're making it. But that's one thing. But when you're talking about people that are important to you, like, your family and your friends or, you know, a coach or, you know, colleagues, bosses, whatever, you know, sometimes their opinions, you, you do care about their opinions, even though you say, I don't care what anyone thinks. And for me, the, it didn't stop me. It just, I just put off telling people once I made the decision for a little longer, I procrastinated a little bit, but it was my parents kind of, and it was, the fact that, you know, I've got two younger sisters and, you know, I'm the successful realtor and they get to tell their friends like, hey, this is what Amy's doing and blah, blah, blah. And now they're, they have to be like, she's a python hunter in Florida. So yeah, there's that. So <laughs> even though they were very, very supportive, but I just knew like that was going to be one of the things that was going to be a little weird for them. And it did kind of for a second make me pause but then I'm like, this isn't their life. This is my life. I'm not doing this for anybody else except for me. 
And if I don't do this because of somebody else, the only person that is hurting is me. So why would I let somebody have that power? And if they don't like it, they don't like it. It is what it is, but I'm doing this for me. Yeah. It's such a hard lesson. It's, I finally started to phrase it like their judgment, their hate, that's their problem. It's, it can't be our problem, right? Cause then it weighs us down and that is when we get stuck and, and become less successful. So tell me what does a day in the life look like catching pythons? Well, it is, um, it is, I, I, I love it. Okay. I, I'm going to back up really fast and I should probably explain the reason that I do this because we do have to euthanize them. So people say, Amy, you love snakes. Why are you there to kill them? Which is a very valid question. And the answer to that is that I, by moving here and not being afraid of snakes, first of all, not being afraid to jump on 17 foot pythons, knowing a lot about them, I could help make a difference. Instead of my passion just being a hobby, it could actually make a difference in the world and help Florida with this horrible problem that they have. So that was my line of thinking, even though it really is terrible that we have to euthanize them. I don't like that, but it is a necess- it, it is necessary. So with that said, in the summer, the pythons are nocturnal. So my day starts at about 8.30, around dusk here. And we load up the truck. Sometimes I go by myself. Sometimes I go with um, my approved assistant. Sometimes I go with another hunter. And we jump in the truck. I've got my lights. And we we cruise. We cruise down the roads and the levees very slowly, maybe like five miles an hour, you know, each person looking out aside to see these pythons that are on the move. And when we see one, you yell python and the truck stops. I try not to like, you know, put the brakes on too hard to make people fly out of the truck. And we get out and we kind of assess the situation. Depending on if it's a flight risk, sometimes they're by the canal, so we have to have a game plan. Sometimes they're, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 footers, you have to have a game plan. Sometimes they're not that big. So it's just a case by case basis. And we just get out, we jump on them, we grab them. It's all live capture. We wrestle some of them. Some of them aren't exciting. Some of them are boring, like the little ones, but, um, and we put them in a bag, looks like a pillowcase, put them in the back of the truck and look for another one. <sighs> I got this scene from Grey's Anatomy in my head. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. And that's, that's part of when mom told me to look away for a good part of that. But does that happen? So what I'm talking about for those who don't know, somebody goes to the ER and there's a python wrapped around them and the python's teeth is in their shoulder arm um, and he's getting squeezed to death and it was his pet. So that raises another whole question. I'm kind of curious about the wild ones probably don't make friends with humans or. Correct. Correct. No, this, this, this is very good. This is, you bring up a very, very important point actually. So I've been bitten many times. The pythons have a mouthful of razor sharp teeth. They are not venomous. So, but it, it does hurt and it does bleed a lot. 
with that said, these are all defensive strikes. So these pythons are trying to get away from us out there. They want nothing to do with us. They don't see us as food. They don't even really see us as an enemy until we actually grab them and then they freak out. So the difference is the bred pythons and captive raised pythons, most people, the only time they open the cage is to drop a rat or a rabbit or whatever in, right? So it becomes a feeding response. So then every time they hear that, you know, click of the cage, they're on point because they're like, I'm going to get fed. So no matter what moves, if it's your arm, if it's your face, if it's the mouse or whatever, that python is going to strike at it and, and wrap it, assuming that it's food because it doesn't know any different. And so that's what happens when they're in captivity is that the owner did something and the python just out of natural, the way it was raised, thought it was food. And that's when they grab and they don't let go. Mm, okay. So you have been bitten. I have, and I have to tell you this. So (laughs) I was actually bitten on the butt one time. (laughs) We caught seven pythons in one day, which is unheard of. A lot of nights we go out, we won't catch any, but this was day we went to their breeding territories in the, in the winter. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but we came upon some pretty cool stuff out there. So we caught seven. So I'm with a few other guys. So we bring them back and we are showing the tourists because they probably won't ever see one. And I'm holding, we're holding them by the tails, which in high, I mean, it's kind of silly to do. If you don't want to get bitten, you hold them behind the head, but we're, you know, putting our little show and I've got this maybe only seven footer feisty little thing. And it just kept trying to bite me. So I'm holding my arm like extending my arm all the way out and trying to, you know, avoid its bites on my legs. So all of a sudden, so I'm standing there and this other python goes right in front of me, you know, some guy and he's chasing it. And so I bend down to pick this python up. Well, my arm, which is completely extended, goes behind me just as I'm bending down and my python bites me right in the butt. I mean, square in the butt. Somebody got it on video. I can, I didn't find out till later. So here's the funny thing. And it did, it kind of hurt for sure. Um, this girl comes up to me and she said, Hey, um, you have some blood on your pants. And as a woman, you never want anyone to ever come and say that to you. Right. <laughs> but little did I know it would be because I just got bitten in the butt by a Python. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's like painfully funny. Um, wow. It was very interesting. It, it, it was, it was quite a day and I've got, you know, going out into the field is, you know, I mean, it is kind of dangerous. I don't really feel, I mean, it's just something that's natural for me. And so it doesn't feel like a dangerous thing. I mean, there's alligators, there's, you know, we have bears and panthers and everything, but they really just leave you alone. They don't really want anything to do with you, but you know, there, there have been, and I've videos, you know, on my, YouTube and website and everything of some of these catches. And it's, it can get pretty hairy sometimes because these big girls, I mean, they're strong and, and if they get you the wrong way, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a battle. It is a battle. Have you ever been in the squeezing situation? Yes and no. So when I catch a a python and I'm not going to be putting it in the bag right away, like when we were on the islands, I had like maybe a nine footer and I'm holding it behind the head and I want it to wrap around my leg so it doesn't flail about, you know, just so it can grab onto something while I'm talking to my friend. So I'm talking to my friend and 
I've done this many times, many, many times. All of a sudden, this python decides to vice grip me. I'm telling you, it squeezed my leg so hard, I thought either my calf muscle was going to explode or my bone was going to break. It it was insane. And I told Tom, I said, you have got to get this off of me right now. So he was like, oh, okay. And so he, you know, he, he unraveled it. But that really opened my eyes a lot because, you know, I caught a 17 footer and I caught her by myself. Now I see that the damage that that little nine footer could have done to me, what a 17 footer could do to me, that thing could have easily eaten me. Not, not even a problem if it wanted to. So yeah, so there's definitely a, a little bit of danger, you know, mixed in with this. <laughs> how come you don't euthanize them? I told you this was going to be curiosity, but how come oh, you're, you're taking them and putting them in a bag instead of like having like one of those animal control guns that just puts them to sleep or something like a dart? Sure. Okay. So the first of all, with the reptiles, they're different than mammals and their metabolism is a lot different. So anything to like put in their blood or anything like that is not going to take effect because their, their veins just don't pump like ours. So it would be kind of worthless to do that. But people do ask a lot why I don't just shoot them. So I use a bolt gun to, to kill the pythons. And that is, and it's American veterinary. Every, all of this is approved through the American Veterinary Association as humane euthanasia. And um, so it's like, it's the, the, kind of bolt guns that they use on pigs and cows. It's like a bolt that comes out and goes into their brain and comes right back out. I know it's kind of graphic, but so I, and I tell you that because you have to get the brain, you have to get the brain. If you don't get the brain, I mean, it, the, the snake isn't going to die. So when you are in the field and you are wrestling the snake, there's, I mean, it is very difficult to get it into a position to be able to do that safely and humanely safe for me and humane for the animal. So that's why it's just easy to do it, get or to, to capture them, load them up. And then when I get home and I have help from somebody else, one can hold the snake and like in the bag. So it's not wrapping all around you. You know, it just, it makes more sense. The second reason that I do it is because I also, you know, part of what I do is, you know, I hate that we have to kill these snakes and so I want to use as much of the snake as possible. So I do use the skin to make products and I have to, through a lot of trial and error, they have to be fresh. And so I time it with, you know, the euthanizing, checking in with the state, the state so I can get paid, which is via Zoom now, and then skinning. So that all kind of plays together. Do you do the skinning yourself? Girl, I do it on my lanai and my snowbird condo. <laughs> Wow. And what about the meat? Is the meat edible? Okay. I'm going to say yes. It's I would not recommend it. I took a python up to a chef in Fort Myers to see if he could, you know, make some cool dish out of it. And he made four very good dishes, but it was so chewy. I mean, so chewy because it's just their one big muscle. They're a constrictor, you know, that's, that's all they are. Um, and they are saying that there is apparently mercury in some of it. So it's never going to be legal. I think that's just fine because it's really not that good anyway. So, okay. well, it's but, funny. I didn't realize snakes had bones until I was, I was at the diner saying, I'm going to interview this girl and I'm like really excited, but really scared. And this is a big deal. And in my head, I just never pictured them having bones. So my friend, Brian, <laughs> pulls up these skeletons 
because, and you just reminded me of that when you said muscle, because I guess I just don't, I just didn't think about it. I know. And why would you, you know what I mean? You're, you're like the majority of normal people and where they're like, ooh, snakes. And why, like, why would you even want to do this? You know? So I get it. He's the one who's always talking. He tells me there's so many species being endangered every single day, like in the hundreds, you know, worldwide. So what you're doing has value because like I'm an animal person. I love animals, but my rule is they have to have fur. (laughs) Fuzzy is my general rule. So when I think about them running around the Everglades, eating other things, and you said early on that they're not, you use the right word. They're native. Um, they're, they're invasive. They're not native. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, the one where nobody else eats them. Um, oh, the apex predator? Nope. You're getting Okay. Sweet. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The one, they're the hunters. No one naturally eats them. Right. So I probably said, I thought I said apex predator. Maybe I said something different. I don't. No, you probably did, but there was another term anyway, that they don't naturally go away. So my question would be, is it only ever going to be, do you, do you think this is an opinion? Um, do you think it'll only be hunters like you, like you said that there's rules and you can't bring guests if I heard you right, but like deer overpopulation, there's hunters. Like, do you see that ever being a thing like where civilians go and hunt pythons? Well, yes, they they technically can now if the general public is out and they see a python, then they can kill it. They have to do it, you know, follow the rules because if it's on like a main road or something, you can't discharge a firearm, but they have to kill it on the spot. Okay. The difference for the contracted hunters is that first of all, we have a transport live license, so we can take them back to, you know, our houses to, to euthanize them. But also we have keys to levies that the general public doesn't have. So we can take our trucks and everything back on these levees that go really far into the Everglades. And so we can hunt the snakes there also. You bring them back to your house, like where you live and sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oh. I do. Okay. I know. And my neighbor, my neighbor is deathly afraid of snakes. So let me tell you, when I moved in and she's like, yeah, oh my God, you're a python hunter. I was like her worst nightmare. But we're good friends now, and she knows that, you know, I've got it covered. So, and I'm every time she sees like a regular snake out there, she's like, ah, come save me. So that's what so I would do. <laughs> but okay. I, I also want to say this that, you know, it's, it takes, there, there is some controversy about is what we're doing working? Is, is it even worth it? Because, you know, these can lay over 100 eggs at a time, you know, and so it's like, are we ever going to be able to just get a hold on this? Which I, don't know the answer to, but what I can say is that, you know, there, it takes 200 mammal or it takes a python three years to reach 10 feet and it takes 200 mammals and birds to get it there. So literally everyone that we take out of the Everglades is saving the lives of, of our native animals, hundreds of lives. So it is, it is definitely worth it for sure. Oh, that's staggering. That's really staggering. Okay. Okay. There's two other things that I want to ask. I I'm actually way not in sync with the conversation. I'm deathly afraid as I shared with you, but I don't hate you. So I want to (laughs) understand 
who are the haters? Like, what kind of person is the hater? And I mean, granted, it's 2022 and everybody's just pissy in general. (laughs) But like, what, what, when you say hater, they're passionate about some piece of this puzzle, I'm guessing. Right. Yes and no. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, just based on, you know, every post I do, I can't explain every single thing and why I do this, you know? And so people will come on and, you know, see that I'm killing a snake and I'm this awful person. And why are you killing these innocent snakes and things like that? And so, so that's one of them. Some of them are also people that are, I wouldn't say my competition, but people that are in the world and they're like, you got that, that piece is wrong, which it's not, but you know, they, they want to be those, you know, people that call you out. And also people that are like, what is wrong with this girl? You know, that question my sanity, which fair enough. <laughs> I mean, you know. Getting bite in the butt by razor blade teeth. I yeah. Know. I mean, what the heck? But it was funny because I knew, okay, so when I first started, I, I put out a video that's viral now. It has almost 4 million hits. It was this Lake Erie water snake video that I did. And I don't even know how it went viral, but I, in the beginning, I kept getting all of these comments like, oh, hey. That's so cool. I love what you're doing. And I'm and I'm just catching eerie water snakes to see how many I can catch and letting them go. Like nothing was killed, nothing was anything. But it was still like not all people like snakes and not all people are okay with me doing this. And so then one day I get this comment in YouTube and the guy says something like, you are such an idiot. I hope that you stick your hand in, in, in that hole and you get bitten by a poisonous snake and die. And I was like, yes, I have a hater. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm reaching, I'm, I'm reaching more people than just my core group that loves me no matter what I do. And so once you start branching out, then you're not going to have all these, you know, warm, fuzzy comments and, you know, hey, rah, rah, re, you're amazing kind of thing. You know, you're going to get people that are, that are for real and, and don't like what you're doing. And then you know that you're actually re- getting your reach out there. So I just texted, I texted back to him. I said, I was wondering when I was going to get my first hater smiley face. And then I, I didn't hear anything else, but, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I looked at it. And that's how I look at all of this. And, you know, now it's easy to block people if they want to keep going on. Sometimes I get into conversations with them to explain it, but sometimes I'm like, I just, it, no, like there's not enough time to even deal with you right now. So, you know, Yeah. Well, people are going to just always be miserable or there's always going to be miserable people or uneducated because that's, that's what I think it comes from is being uneducated and then just being angry. And the angry has nothing to do with Amy as a person, right? It's just a place to, to put the emotion that people don't know how to cope with, which is probably why I'm in the addiction arena, right? Because that's one of the places we put all that anger. Um, But I love your attitude about it. And I hope that everybody listening really embraces it the way that you just described it. Like, okay, people are paying attention outside of my circle, especially the people doing businesses. That's a huge point. At least they're talking about you, you know, that's right. And And it is hard. And, you know, because everyone wants to be liked and nobody wants to get their feelings hurt, you know, and they're like, and it's so easy to say, okay, well, I, maybe I should change what I'm doing. So, you know, everybody likes this. So I can appease this person and this person and all these people. And that is, it's just, it's impossible. You, it's a never winning battle. So you just, you have to, you know, again, 
with all of this that I found, you just have to dig down inside and, and, you know, peel all those layers back of all of this other stuff and say, what do you want? And then at the end of the day, how much does it matter to you? And if you have to break that down with like the people that, you know, you care about what they think or your haters, what does this actually mean to them? They're not even going to remember that they even said anything tomorrow because they're going off to hate somebody else. So it doesn't even matter. <laughs> You're so true. Uh, I was sitting here thinking this was a snake conversation. We're getting deep into all the psychology of business. So I love it. So tell me about that part. You have a business using the skin that hopefully your neighbor doesn't watch you do. Um, <laughs> So what is that about? You make a claim saying that even vegans, even, even vegans, something could, could deal with the snake skin. Sorry, I can't read my writing. Right, no, no, no. Yeah. So, so definitely um, even vegans will be, they will want to buy these Python products. And the reason that I say that is because these, this is an invasive species. These pythons have to go because they are eating all of the mammals and birds, right? So the other option of python leather are asian pythons and they are either taken out of the wild or they're raised on farms like well i shouldn't probably say anything publicly but the big handbag you know companies they all have their own python farms where they breed their pythons on their farms and they go pluck them out for their hides when they're good yeah so so that's Oh yeah. So, so when I say the vegans will do this, it's because the whole, the, the, everything behind this, it's eco-friendly, it's, um, it's ethical, you know, all of that in trying to get these pythons, it's unfortunate, but it's necessary. So they're literally helping the greater good by buying Python products made from invasive pythons rather than Asian pythons. Well, why don't those mean manufacturers go in the woods and catch some pythons and do it that way? Right. Why bring more? Oh my gosh, that just makes me so mad. I know, I know. So it is, and okay, you were talking about, I listened to one of your podcasts and you were talking about your um, recovery playground, you know, and how you're like, I, you know, you just have this feeling and you just don't know exactly what it looks like. And you just told me how hard, you know, this is and you, it's easy to lose sight of, or it's easy to get frustrated and just be like, I'm done with this. I'm over this, you know? And that's what this piece has been for me. This has been, it's easy for me to just go and, you know, catch snakes all day. But the business piece of this has been very difficult because there, first of all, there are only three tanneries in the United States that tan Python and they don't even really tan it. They're just doing it for us because it's illegal to import, uh, hides from Asia. So none of our tanneries did do pythons. They haven't in 40 years when it became illegal. So anyway, so, so we're dealing with that. And then people aren't really here, aren't really used to working with Python leather. So, you know, trying to find people for that, but also, I mean, getting the message out there is very difficult because once you get past your core, core group, I mean, you're talking about like big marketing bucks to, to, go try to get this message out there to get people to buy something that they don't even know that they want, you know? And so it's just, there've been so many pieces of this. I mean, if I could take you through this journey, I mean, even from the skinning, I, I didn't know I was going to have to skin these stupid things, you know? And then I figured nobody else wants to skin them. So 
well, look what I get to do. My beautiful table that I bought for my lanai is my skinning table now. You know, just all of these crazy things, these huge obstacles that you're just like, you're kind of like standing there looking up at it going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? So I get it. It's not easy. Wow. That's so much perspective, especially as one of the lessons I just took away from that, aside from we don't know what we don't know, or we don't know the struggles of other people, is that we all, like, it was a good reminder. We all have struggles, even though they look different. Um, The obstacles are just so different, and we have to be creative in how we solve those problems, even if it involves a pretty table on our (laughs) lanai. But also, you just made me so happy, like, even more happy that we're having this conversation so that whoever hears this can get it from an expert that knows what they're talking about. I also think maybe you need to go on Shark Tank with your products so that way they pay attention and we can educate the whole world. Yes. I mean, I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) So you make things out of the skin. I do. I do. I actually have them, um, a manufacturer that makes them. I make the only Apple watch band in the world made out of invasive python skin. So that's kind of a cool thing, you know. I, I wanted to be a little different. And so, but again, you know, everything's been a challenge and, you know, uh, trying to get this all figured out because again, we're, I'm pioneering this industry, you know, this invasive Python is not a thing. It hasn't been a thing and it's just becoming sort of a thing. So, but yeah, so that, so I make those and I have new colors coming out that'll be up here pretty soon. So yes, yes, yes. Pythons don't come in different colors per se though, right? They do not. They do not, but I have them dyed in different colors. Nice. And is this, when I hear snake, like I, you call it Python. You're very distinct about it being called Python. And I find myself already not being in that habit. I think of snakeskin boots is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, So is it a status element that people would want a snakeskin Apple watch or just because it's cool. Like I want one because it's exclusive in my head now. Like I'm thinking about like, okay. Um, and I'm not very trendy or anything. (laughs) No, but you are, well, that's the thing. This Python skin is a hot fashion trend right now. And it has been for several years and there you see Python skin everywhere. Even, you know, even if it's not real, but it's the Python skin print. So there is a difference in the pattern. So you can, so I can tell the difference between an Asian Python and a Burmese Python from Florida. And so I know that sounds kind of crazy and most people would never be able to pick it out, but there is a difference. And so people will want this because first of all, it's by, by supporting this, you are helping to save the Everglades. You're helping to save all of these mammals. I mean, these, these pythons eat raccoons, possums, bobcats, deer, there was a 16-footer that had a doe and two fawns in her at the same time. Oh, my God. That's insane. So, I and I can't even imagine how that went down. Like, that is just terrible. And so, by supporting this, you're supporting the Everglades, you're supporting us, and you have something that nobody else has. I mean, every single one is absolutely unique. Wow. How, I'm totally off script again, but how big around is a 17 footer? Um, well, I've got one of the skins right over there. This isn't going to be on, t- on 
video, is it? Well, I wanted it to be. Okay. Um, well, so I could go get it. It's like, so I think that one's 24 inches wide. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's actually, you know what? I am going to get it. So just hang on just a second. Okay. I'm good if you are. Okay. So this is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this is the skin and this is not even halfway down. So this is, this is from a 17 footer. So it would go around though. Yeah. So this is the belly. So it's like, and it, yeah. So I don't know really how to do this, but anyway, so yeah. Yeah. No, you're doing, you're doing good. Wow. Yeah. So, so these, and you know, of course all of them are not like this, but, um, they are pretty, they're pretty, uh, (laughs) yeah, the 17 footers, they'll they'll get (laughs) you. Handbags are great. So I can't really make um, the watch bands out of those because, you know, like the scales are as, you know, wide as the, as the watch band. So I use the smaller ones for that. And then, you know, I do have these, these skins for sale. Um, I'm in the process of getting some more in my line, some more items in my line. So where do you sell all this stuff, Amy? On my website, pythonhuntress.com. Okay. Very good. Wow. Is there anything that I'm forgetting to ask you because I'm so in awe of this conversation that you wanted to chat about? Um, I think, I mean, you covered all of it, really. I mean, you did such a great job in, in really covering all of this. I can't really think of of anything that I need to add to it because I think we've made all all the points. I just, I think, I think you are amazing and what you're doing for everyone, for, you know, recovery is, I commend you for sure. That means a lot. It was a good reminder of this conversation. You made me feel less alone in the journey. You know, gambling is the snake of addiction, right? Like people don't think of that top of mind. So it's just really exciting. And this is what, this is what I wish was Maybe I've just been exposed to too many negative people lately, but here we are. I'm deathly afraid of what you're passionate about. And we just had the most amazing conversation without judgment. And we looked for the similarities. And if the freaking world would do a better job at that, instead of just fighting all the time, how how different would it be? Absolutely. You are 100% right. 100%. Well, thank you, Amy, for being here and helping me put my big girl pants on, as I choose to call it. (laughs) I am very proud of you. You did so well. And I would never know that you were, you know, a little afraid of snakes. I never would know that. And I really appreciate you having me on. It really means a lot. Of course. Thanks so much, Amy.